What is going on, everybody? P4C, the podcast, episode 28. We are getting ready for National Football League kickoff. It might be happening right now as you're listening to this. Perhaps you're on your way home from work on a Thursday, getting ready for Bears and Packers. Um, I'm obviously not listening to this. I'll be watching that game. I will be sending Twitter posts after Twitter posts of everything I see uh, and what that game's going to look at uh, or look like. Ultimately, uh, I'll tweet out the score for those who are tr- uh, wanting to lay bets. I'll be doing that shortly before the game starts with a you know brief synopsis of why I think that team's going to win. I'll be doing that uh, pretty much every primetime game this season. Look out for that at Pete4C. Um, that's Twitter. That's Snapchat. That's Instagram. Uh, direct messages wide open. Everybody is welcome. Fire away in there with your questions uh, in regards to what's going on with the league and the teams, looming contracts, uh, draft picks, uh, maybe some discord going on between front office and coach, whatever it may be. Fire away. I got thoughts. I got takes. Um, I'll let you know what I think. We'll answer right here on the show. Things are ramping the heck up here on the podcast. Um, and we'll get to all the NFL coverage, but first there is something that happened this past Saturday, uh, that I got a lot of thoughts on, got a lot of thoughts on, watched, uh, four quarters of football, uh, something that I did not think I would see, but I ultimately did from, uh, from the college rank. So let's get to it. It's episode 28 of the podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. There really can be no overstatement in regards to what happened in Laramie, Wyoming on Saturday night. The Missouri Tigers absolutely laid an egg. There's no way around it. I know I've already seen a little bit, not too much. I think everyone pretty much has a full grasp of it. The reactions following Saturday's game were quite, um, I mean, they were totally appropriate. This game was very bad for the Missouri Tigers and their program and where they're headed this season, and ultimately it could doom the head coach Barry Odom. Ultimately, I don't think, I I don't take too much away from it from Barry and him as a head coach, and I'll get to that in a minute, but for those that think just the first game, natural rust, um, don't have the program down just yet. Maybe don't have the, all the offensive uh, systems and the adjustments, responsibilities, the protections, all that kind of stuff. No. No, no, no. This was a talent disparity. This was a natural tune-up game that programs run. SEC programs or Big 12 programs or any of the Power 5 conferences, they have tune-up games. And while they are an FBS program, Mountain West, Wyoming should be treated like an FCS program. Now, they did just beat the Tigers, so perhaps I should uh, run that back a little bit. But compared to what Missouri has and what they headed into that game, that's what that matchup looked like, FBS versus FCS. And the Missouri Tigers made them look like the Green Bay Packers or whatever NFL team you want to throw in there. Because they got out-toughed, they got uh, out-ran by a lesser athletic Wyoming Cowboy team. This was just unbelievable, especially given the start. Missouri had a great two first drives to begin the game out there in Wyoming. But then all of a sudden, the wheels fell off. You know, Kelly Bryant, 
you know, granted, I, I, if, if it wasn't clear before this game that Kelly Bryant can't play in the NFL, can't play quarterback in the NFL, it sure as hell is very clear now. He doesn't throw with anticipation. He doesn't have good footwork. He doesn't have good vision. He's not an NFL passer. He's an athletic guy who takes the snap. And you know what? That's plenty good for college, okay? I think he's a great college talent. But let's just get that out of the way now. There's no NFL future behind center for Kelly Bryant. He'll get drafted, and he'll uh, he'll have to switch positions, and I'm sure he could have a very fulfilling career. It will not be his quarterback. Number two, the offensive line, big guys. I remember just thinking that out of the gate. I was like, man, these guys are big. These guys look powerful. Um, they look talented. They can move a little bit. And that was all good and true the first two drives until there was pressure in the backfield every play from there on. It was the second quarter when the physicality just stopped for Missouri. And, you know, really, I can't say that they weren't put in good positions to win this game because they were. Derek Dooley, I, I was watching him adjust every single series to what he was seeing out there, trying to put these Missouri Tiger offensive players in position, and they just let him down. The offensive pass catchers not getting separation. Albert O, uh, you know, I, I frankly, he's just frustrating in, in natural ways with a young player because this is only his sophomore year, I take it. Uh, still very raw as a prospect, but everybody else, just the, the releases off the line of scrimmage, the way they were, Dooley was trying to scheme them open, and they were, and then Kelly wasn't, uh, you know, he wasn't anticipating the play. He was creating space for him. He, cre- he was creating all sorts of space. He was putting even his offensive linemen in better position. He was trying to move their defensive linemen laterally so they could outrun and beat him with their speed because they have a speed advantage. But they didn't play fast on Saturday night for whatever reason. It was maddening. And, I, you know, I, I, I'm just I'm upset for them that they lost this game because this has put a dagger into a season that prior to the bull ban, prior to the sanctions, people thought this might be quote-unquote it. This was one of the better talented teams with a more promising guy receiving the snap than they had in quite some time. But guess what? I, it looks like they may not have it because this is something that, well, sure, maybe they, they will play better football later on in the year. This will do them. This will doom them. We will see this Missouri team again because this doesn't completely escape you. I haven't really read too much up on it post-game because, I, quite frankly, I wasn't really interested in hearing whatever the explanation was. If this was a uh, conditioning issue, which I didn't think it would. I tweeted out before the game, I really thought, based off what I know about Barry Odom, his teams usually come in shape. I didn't think the altitude would be a factor. If it was, guess what? No excuses. You knew when the game was. You knew when the game was. You know, if... if Athletes in college at the Division One level don't know how to hydrate themselves to adjust if they don't know the proper fluids and the frequency in which to put liquids into your body to hydrate and not cramp and not be winded, then that's on you. And there's some people that want to pay these athletes. Some people that want to pay them and they don't even know how to stay hydrated. They don't even know how to prepare themselves. And Hey, maybe that wasn't brought up. Like I said, I didn't watch it, but that's my explanation in case it is. This is a very bad loss. This is a very bad loss. It cannot be overstated. Um, the Missouri program, if this continues, because like I said, I did not take too much away from Barry Odom in this game. I thought he managed the game fairly well. They did get back into it. I thought he managed it fairly, fairly well, and I thought 
Dooley really impressed me as far as play calling. I just I thought he adjusted in every which way to uh, once the game was in their control at the beginning to where he started seeing it slip away to when it did finally slip away and then get back in the game. He was fantastic. Um, but Barry Odom, if this continues, certainly he's got to be gone after this year. I mean, if they are the team that gets pushed around during games when people are running right by him, where they look like a bunch of foot, when they just look slower than everybody else. It's very simple, this game. Outran, out-toughed. That's it. The play calls were fine. I had no issues with what was going on there. I thought they were calling a very sound game. But if that, if this continues, then it is ultimately on Barry Odom because they take on the shape of their head coach. Up until this point, it's it's been pretty good. So I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt here. But I was the guy who said I was not Barry Odom for the beginning. Mm-mm. I said, you know, okay, if you want to hire him year one after all, you know, the off-the-field stuff with the protests and everything, if you just want a placeholder, sure, I'm good. Barry Odom's a good guy. He's in-house. Stabilize it. But when Les Miles becomes available the very next year, I'm totally okay in conjunction with what Barry Odom did. Didn't give the job to Kuligowski, let go of Henson, even though I li- I thought Henson was a pretty good play caller, giving you a nice mesh of uh, pro and college concepts, doing uh, making wine out of water with his uh, receivers in those few years when they went to the SEC championship games. I'm talking about like 13, 14. Those receivers were not that good. Okay? DBG, Washington, they were not talented. Henson made them look like stars with Mock and with Franklin throwing the passes. Okay? I'm okay with cutting bait with Odom after that first year because he made those decisions. He did. He let Henson go. He brought in a whole bunch of his buddies to run the defense. That TCU guy, I don't know what the hell his, his gig was. He was awful. And then he brought in his brothers, brought in his pals from Oklahoma, and, and uh, you know every, everybody from Memphis and everything. I don't know what staff he's putting together. He wins the Nice Guy Award. He does. Okay, seems like a solid man. But you know what? This is about winning games. And right now, Missouri just, they flop at the beginning of the year. Yeah, they have a nice, strong second half, but that's usually due to the schedule. I'm, uh, yeah, ultimately, I, I was okay with passing on Barry Odom after one year to go and get less miles. And currently, the Kansas Jayhawks, they have a better record than Missouri. They have a better coach than Missouri. And uh, now Missouri is uh, heading in to play West Virginia 0-1, having lost to Wyoming. Okay, moving on to the National Football League. There were a couple of big extensions uh, announced in a matter of just hours. The Los Angeles Rams' Jared Goff signs up for a four-year extension, $134 million uh, in total value. It was $110 in guarantees. The terms haven't exactly been uh, announced quite yet, so it's hard to judge exactly what this looks like, but many people think that Jared Goff shouldn't have even been offered an extension entirely, that they should have really looked to franchise him if they were looking to uh, keep him around much longer. The problem with the franchise tag is it just creates a headache for cap problems. It's just way too big a number. It's completely guaranteed. You can't do that at the quarterback position. It's just a nightmare. Look at what the Washington Redskins did. Ultimately, they got out. They got out from a quarterback that they thought wasn't that good, but when you think you want to see a little bit more, uh, ultimately, it can doom you, especially when Kirk Cousins, the way he leveraged it when that happened. So I'm okay with Jared Goff getting the extension. He's not Carson Wentz. I don't think he's as talented, but he has stayed on the field. 
He has won games, and he has executed the offense that's been put in front of him by Sean McVay. He's great at playing on schedule. When he is kept clean, he is fantastic. He is elite. The numbers say so. He can push the ball down the middle of the field. He can push it outside the numbers pretty good, not as good as in the middle of the field, but he does play well when on schedule. When he's dictating the pace, when the offense is dictating the pace and the speed of the game, it's great. It's really when they are not doing those things. It's when he's getting pressured and under duress. It's throwing off platform where he's not too great. It's when he has to, really what you saw against New Orleans in the playoffs, that's something that he hasn't demonstrated too much. He played under duress in the Super Bowl. It got to him. They lost the football game. And really, every other game outside of that New Orleans game, that's what he has been. So I can understand where people are reluctant to give that money. But look, this is, you need a quarterback. What's the price of starting over? What is the price? You go to the draft and you just try and find someone just as good? Look, I'm the ones that say, you know, there are average quarterbacks out there. It's your fault if you don't find one. But what is the price of having to reset and teach a quarterback your program, teach him your philosophy on offense? That's a real learning curve. Real learning curve. There's a trust. There's a, a camaraderie and a, a sinking with an offense that... If you have to pay market value to sign up for a few more years, which that's what they're doing, four years, 110 guarantee. We don't know how much of that is at signing, but they could get out from under it after just a few years because it's a four-year extension to the two additional years he has left. The cap hit could be fairly harmless. So while it looks atrocious at the beginning, it might not be so bad in reality. And that's why you look over at Ezekiel Elliott. His came out just a few hours ago. It was at the, actually this morning when uh, I had just woken up. I had seen from Todd Archer of ESPN, who reported it was a six-year deal, just like you first heard on this podcast. It was going to be a six-year deal. I said it a few weeks ago. I think it was back at the end of July. I said I can see it happening. In typical Cowboy fashion, they will push some guarantees into the later years, past year three, like they do. All the time. They did it with uh, Sean Lee. They did it with Tyron Smith, Tony Romo, and now they're doing it with Ezekiel Elliott. His terms are out, and his cap charges, not that bad. Not that bad. So for 2019, got a $6 million cap hit, $10 million the next year, $13 million the next year, and 16 after that. 16 in the year 2022 when the cap is going to have risen probably close to $20 million. I'm okay with those terms with Ezekiel Elliott running back. Again, he's going to be a Hall of Famer. People say don't invest in the running back position. They're they're replaceable. Okay, yeah, that they are. You're right, and I can understand that formula for other teams. The problem with that logic, the problem with saying, well, that the tenuous approach that the Cowboys are, are, are using is that it's working. It's working. They drafted a center in the first round. Logic said, don't do that. They drafted a guard guard in the first round when Logic said, don't do that. They drafted a running back, fourth overall, when Logic said, don't do that. The issue is, they've all hit. They've gotten them all around. They're all, all pros. They're all top five at their position. Guess what? The formula's working. Yeah. Did it have slim odds to work? Probably. But then it did. The Cowboys have nailed all these picks. They've built their offense through this, so they're totally okay with saying, we're going to pay them all top dollar. They're our best players. 
sure, we'll be weak in other areas of our football team. We'll have less dynamic players at the wide receiver position. We'll have less dynamic corners, safeties. Defense alignment is always a big churn with the Cowboys, but guess what? We'll just make up for it, and we know where our good players are. We'll play to our strengths. They've won the third most games in the last three years. The contracts for Ezekiel Elliott, Jared Goff, make total sense when you break it down. It's it's just the uh, it's the mass score raid with the total value and the years. People, uh, you, you got to understand it's more than that. It's the total guarantees. It's how much the signing bonus and the length of the contract to the potential dead cap hits down the line. That's what you got to look at. And both of these appear to be structured fairly harmless. Cowboys got it done. Appears to be good to where they can get out from under it if Zeke miss, uh, has an off-the-field issue or if uh, his, you know he gets old very, very quickly. Jared Goff, still some things to be revealed there, but the length of the contract suggests they can get out from under it uh, after a couple of years. I like both these deals. Rams, Cowboys, they both nailed them. Goff and Zeke on their teams for the foreseeable future. The only way I could really describe it when the news came out of Jadavion Clowney being traded to the Seattle Seahawks was panic. The only way I could describe the other trade that came out for the Houston Texans was Bill O'Brien taking care of Bill O'Brien. The trade with the Miami Dolphins to bring in Laramie Tunsil, the offensive tackle down with the Miami Dolphins. Both trades were just, um, well, they screamed just dis- dysfunction and That's exactly what you get when you don't have a general manager, and it's why the Houston Texans, I'll later explain, uh, they're, they're not going to the playoffs, even after both these moves. They're not. The Houston Texans panicked because they thought it would be bad to have Jadeveon Clowney hanging over their head. They thought it would be bad for the locker room. And they traded him to the Seattle Seahawks for a couple of, uh, a couple of players that have not had any start to their careers. Barkevius Mingo has been a talented but very raw player. Jacob Martin, uh, I had to look him up. I didn't know much about him. Really didn't know much about him. He's not very, hasn't been played all that much. Uh, and I don't know what's exactly so promising about him. And then uh, what pick did they get? It, it was just, it was, it was silly. It was two players. It was clowny and a swap of picks. It was like, oh my God, it was just so dumb. It was so dumb. And then you look over the Laramie Tunsil trade, and they give up two first-rounders for Kenny Stills, who's going to get cut. He's going to get cut by the Dolphins. And you get Laramie Tunsil, who, to you know, they've had pr- severe problems at left tackle. The thing I always say about the Houston Texans is that the problems surrounding them always are the detriment. They just can't overcome it. They have no way to mask it. They have no way to scheme around it. It always seems to bite them in the rear. But then they go out and get Laramie Tunsil. They spend a first-round pick to throw basically, quote-unquote, money at the problem in the form of compens- or, uh, in the form of a draft pick. And the thing is, is that Laramie Tunsil is, he, he's really just been good, you know, just slightly above average. And, you know, I think he could elevate it a little bit. But, man, you, I mean, you gave up capital for just a good player with great compensation. Two first-rounders, essentially. Because guess what? Kenny Stills was going to be on the open market afterwards. They were cutting him. And you got him. And I think Miami's taking a little bit of a salary. But essentially, you gave up two first-round picks for Laramie Tunsil. I, I just, Bill O'Brien is taking care of Bill O'Brien in this situation. He understands the heat is on. This is his season because he doesn't even have a general manager. He can call the shots. He's sick of losing in the playoffs. 
He ultimately doesn't have to worry about anybody else dictating the composition of the team. It's all on him. It's all on him. And he says, guess what? I'm going to deal like I'm the head coach and and I'm the GM, and that's exactly what he is. Tossing away first-round picks. Shipping Jadavion Clowney out of town for basically nothing. Uh, Good luck. I don't even know how much better this team is, to be quite honest. I know they earlier on in the day they got Carlos Hyde from the Chiefs. They swapped an offensive lineman who he's a project. Uh, Chiefs, you know, they're fine with that. They they could use some depth there. Um, they were in on LaShawn McCoy, but you know, ultimately this guy's really just flying by the seat of his pants. I think he really feels the pressure. He's like, if I don't win, not only is there going to be a new GM, there's going to be a new head coach. Nick Casario, he he may not even want to show up here next year when he's a free agent, the executive over with the New England Patriots. Bill O'Brien's taking care of Bill O'Brien here. Um, I it's he's a very strange case. I think he really knows football. I think he really knows how to um, scheme. I think he knows how to call a game. I think he knows how to identify talent. It's really just getting his players ready to play, getting them prepared, and also. Perhaps working with others a little bit. You know, we had Aaron Reese on here on the show a few months back, and he, you know, talked about how he can't get along with anyone, uh, namely, you know, the guys creating the roster. So, you know, he doesn't deal with conflict all that well, doesn't play with others all that well. Um, you know, there's some serious reservations. He's got some good qualities, but again, I just I don't like the outlook for this team. They're not going to make the playoffs. I still think the Indianapolis Colts are going to make the playoffs with Jacoby. Um, Deshaun will be better protected, but I don't know how much better because it's not just left tackle, it's everywhere. They're just bring pressure in the other areas because it's still a very, very sorry offensive line there. A um, couple of big trades uh, by the Houston Texans. Really didn't like any of them. Uh, didn't even like it so much for uh, Miami. I thought they should have held on for him for a little bit, see if he can improve, but I guess I'll trust Brian Floros uh, in that he didn't think he would ever elevate his ceiling to a high enough level to warrant a contract extension. So he says, give me the first round pick. Shoot, I'll take a second and I'll throw in stills. And, uh, you know, we'll really build for, um, we'll really build up this draft capital so our resources are wide. And then we have the flexibility to do whatever we want with them. Maybe flip them for better players that we see out elsewhere or ultimately select draft picks. Uh, with those given slots so Texans yeah not making the playoffs don't believe in what they just did I think it's a very desperate thing I think it's a very uh, selfish thing from Bill O'Brien and I mean that in just the fact that it's totally about him not saying it's a bad move he understands he's the heat is on him Uh, but yeah he's all in on himself he's all in on how he thinks a roster should be built we'll see what will happen I don't like the outlook for him One guy who's not in the NFL anymore but seems to be making a lot of uh, public appearances here recently is Rob Gronkowski. He has been talking about his use of uh, CB whatever. uh, I I always want to say CBA since we're talking NFL, but I guess CBD, the legalized marijuana. He's been talking about it, uh, endorsing it as a healthy alternative to uh, rehab and mental health and getting your body right if you have trouble in those areas and Gronk definitely chronicled what he was dealing with in regards to his football career and that how that affected his body physically and mentally emotionally and he broke down in tears he broke down in tears at one point uh talking to his fans through this public appearance and he said I had to get my body right 
I was not in a good place. I was worn down. And, you know, he got choked up. And there were some other questions about, hey, you know, retirement, is this for real? Is this the end? For sure, you're only 29. Could you feasibly come back? And he didn't shut the door. Gronk said that he would have to be 100% healthy. He'd have to have his mind right and his body right for that to happen. So people took that as, oh, the door's wide open. He could come back. Gronk didn't shut it. But in reality, when a guy is crying about how his mind was breaking down from football, from the collisions and the car crashes, figuratively, that he was taking, I that guy's not coming back to the NFL. There's never been anything of substance. And I really, there's maybe a little bit to this with what Gronk said, but ultimately I do not see him coming back. He's lost 15 pounds. He seems to be very happy with what he's doing now. He said he could ramp it back up, but I think he was more just teasing us with, you know, his, you know, athletic powers there about how he could be back in a pinch. It would only take a couple of weeks to actually go out there and catch passes in an NFL game. But this guy keeps talking about how it was just way too hard for him, week to week, day to day, getting his body right to to go into another car crash. I mean, we all know that with his size, the blows that he's taken are just significant. I, I, I have never seen a guy take so much of a beating in all my years and watching an entire career. There's some guys I've seen take as much, but, you know, I saw the back half of their career. I saw the front half. Um, and then they retired early for whatever reason or they were out of the league. Um, this guy, he stuck around and just took pounding after pounding after pounding. This guy's not coming back. There really has never been anything to support it. It's just been Rodney Harrison. It's just been former teammates saying, yeah, I think he will. Or, yeah, I think he could. Or it's just the media speculating because it's obviously the Super Bowl champion. Rob Gronkowski is retired. I don't think there's any shot that he comes back. I think he was just offering, in theory, what would have to happen for him to uh, to actually be back on the field. But really, he's not even entertaining it. He's not even entertaining it because he doesn't have any interests. Robert Gronkowski is retired. He will stay retired. He's never playing in an NFL game again. Okay, everyone. It's now my favorite probably segment that we've done ever on this podcast. It's my preseason NFL picks. Hold me to these now. Okay, this is your chance to have this on file. So you, when this happens, you know exactly you heard it here first. And also to call me out on it when it goes horribly, horribly wrong. But here's exactly what's going to happen. During the 2019 regular NFL season, I'm going to break it down for you. Uh, I was going to go division by division on each team, but I think... More so, everyone just cares about who's going to make it, who's going to be there in the end. So that's what we will do. We will start with the AFC. We'll start with the easiest conference to pick, and that's going to be the NFC East, or excuse me, the AFC East. And we all know death, taxes, and a Patriots first round bye. That's what we're getting with 12-4. and four. Look, New England, they still got Belichick. 
um, and they still got the signal caller number 12. And as long as they have those two, they will be potent. There's just too much um, consistency. There's too much um, knowledge of what needs to happen to play efficient football. And they got players that are on board. They have identified guys who are going to play that style of play and who are going to be coachable and who are going to sacrifice for the team on both the offensive and defensive side of the ball. The Patriots will once again have a first-round bye and make the playoffs. They will take the East, but staying in the East. And for a wild card, I will take the Buffalo Bills. This is a team that I'm big on. I love their secondary. I think they're building an absolute lockdown pen back there with both the safeties and the cornerbacks. I think their linebackers are getting better. Pass rushers, um, work to be done there, but I think it will still be solid. It's really just about managing Josh Allen's expectations. I think he can be a very good guy who picks, or not, he doesn't pick and chooses. Brian Dabble, the offensive coordinator, picks and chooses the shots that he's going to have Josh Allen take because while he can make every throw in the book, he can also miss every throw in the book. I like that running back that they have there. They got a few good pass catchers. I did not like the Cole Beasley signing, but I think they can sneak in and make a playoff berth with a 10-6 and record. Heading on to the AFC West, this is another one of the easy ones. This is another first-round bye pick. This is the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, Too good offensively, too easy of a schedule to begin with, and I don't mean uh, that in a bad way for the Chiefs. It's just it's very favorable early on in the year. I think they're going to go 13-3 overall, and they will be in the playoffs. Lastly, the Indianapolis Colts. They will take the South. Jacoby Brissett, I professed it just last week. I think he can win a lot of games, and I think the Colts will win a lot of games with him as their QB. Additionally, they still just have a very stingy defense. I really like their running back, uh, Marlon, Marlon Mack. He ran all over guys in the uh, against the Texans, and I still love uh, the Funches pickup or the Funches pickup for one year. I think it's going to be an absolute steal. I think it's going to be a bargain. Uh, when it's all said and done, based off what Frank Wright can do. And then, of course, you still got Eric Ebron and T.Y. Hilton. But then we have the AFC North. And this is where the Pittsburgh Steelers, I believe, will continue their run of dominance atop the division. I think they'll take it. I think the Cleveland Browns will be right there with them. I think they're both going to go 10-6. and six. I have the Steelers winning the head-to-head to take first place. They both make the playoff look. Cleveland Browns are too talented. I think it's like they have 10 guys. Perhaps it's, yeah, 10 players within the top 15 at their position. They're absolutely loaded, okay? They're too talented not to make the playoffs, I don't think, but they're going to lose a lot of games that they probably shouldn't. I think there could be some turmoil as far as um, just the outlook of the season, but ultimately the talent will win out. They'll play some fluky football, But really, there will be some dynamic versions of them that ultimately win the games, Okay, both on the defensive side of the ball as well as the offensive. Um, I think Freddie Kitchens, he could be in over his head a little bit, um, but the play calling, uh, you got to come away impressed what you saw late in the season. With the Steelers, it's just all about really growing, and I think James Washington is going to grow quite a bit. I think he's really going to burst onto the scene. I loved him coming out of Oklahoma State, and it was no surprise that the wide receiver factory, the Steelers, took him uh, in the second round of 2018. Big Ben, still Big Ben. He can still deliver the football. He dropped off a little bit, but I see a very motivated player. 
I see an offensive line that still can protect them. I see a defense who now has their linebacker who can run sideline to sideline. They uh, they have Devin Bush, and he's an absolute monster. I still think the Steelers got it. I think they take the division, and that's what I have in the AFC. All right, switching it on over to the NFC. We got the East Division, the Philadelphia I almost said the Phillies. The Philadelphia. I'm watching the Phillies in the background here. The Philadelphia Eagles are going to win this division. This is the most complete team in the NFC. I uh, I love their offensive line. I love their defensive line. Their secondary. Their depth at running back is superb. Their pass catchers. Uh, they're both their tight ends is what really scares me. Uh, Goddard, Godert, um, Zach Ertz, and then a healthy Carson Wentz. In uh, an offensive line that is deep as any. I just think there there's no holes. There's no holes. I think that they could uh, experiment a little bit at uh, you know the beginning of the season. Maybe they drop a game that they shouldn't, um, drop a game middle of the year that they shouldn't while they get healthy. Um, Twelve and four is where I'm looking at. That's where I think they end up. I think they end up at the top of the division in the East. Um, they're the most complete team in the NFC, and uh, we'll get to them in a minute once again. But staying in the division, I think the Dallas Cowboys are also going to make it. They're going to make it at 9-7. Their recipe, like I said, runs through Ezekiel Elliott. Their composition is built off those draft picks, and they have to win a certain way. That's why I think they're only going to win nine games. But when they do win, they can get hot, and they can absolutely suffocate you. And I think the recipe is still there. They still have some of the key cogs of that team uh, with them that they've had for the past four or five seasons. I think they make the playoffs as well coming out of the East. When you shift it on over to the West, the Seattle Seahawks are a team that I think is really going to surprise some people again. Now, they made the playoffs last year, but I think they're going to win even more games than expected this year. Um, Pete Carroll, the culture cannot be understated. Russell Wilson, one of the best deep ball passers in the game. They really know how to pick their spots. They know when to pick their spots. I think, um, you know, Schottenheimer isn't the best coordinator, but I think he knows how to use this team better. Um, and they've built their team to run the football uh, and take sparing shots down the field. It's really about the defense. Bobby Wagner, as long as he's in there, uh, they can play just they can play defense differently. They can move their defenders around a little bit more. They're one of the best fundamental teams to play the most simplistic defense out there in the cover three. The Seattle Seahawks will go 11 and five and win the NFC West. The second team, the second team in the West that I think is also going to make the playoff is the San Francisco 49ers. I think it's going to be on the heels of Kyle Shanahan as well as the quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo. I think Jimmy Garoppolo takes the MVP award. Yes, that is right. That's how much I think of Jimmy Garoppolo as a quarterback. That's what he's shown me through the 10 starts that he's had. Through the last, uh, the two starts as a Patriot and the five starts as, uh, or the seven starts as a uh, San Francisco 49er, uh, and the other handful that he had, or the three that he had in 2018. Look, he is a very gifted quarterback. He looks, there's flashes of Tony Romo, there's flashes of Dan Marino, that type of style quarterback. He's got all the physical tools. I think Kyle Shanahan and him are very motivated, as well as the roster overall defensive line has shored up I think uh, Jason Verrett when he gets back you're actually looking at a pretty talented secondary that can play a hybrid defense a 3-4-4-3 as well as a lot of coverages uh, with the nickel and the dime Um, I think they're pretty good I think they're going to go 11-5 and they're going to beat out the Saints late in the year in a December game Um, and they're going to force them out of a playoff spot I think the San Francisco 49ers come in at a wild card Jimmy Garoppolo takes home the hardware Flipping on over to the South. I just said the Saints aren't going to make it. 
That's because the Atlanta Falcons are going to have the best record in the NFL. They're going to go 13-3. and This is a very good football team. This is a team that plays fast. This is a team that plays on schedule, on offense. I think they get back to their ways. Look, they were just hurt last year. They lost both their safeties. They lost their linebacker for a little bit. They lost uh, offensive linemen. They were just hurt last year, and it sunk the ship. It happened too early, and there's just no coming back from that. Matt Ryan had a very good late season. I think it was like the last four games, he was a top QB. Or at least in the past, uh, or in the last half, the last eight games, this guy is really ascended to top level status at the quarterback position. I think Devontae Freeman could have a bounce back here. They're a little bit thin at the running back position now, but they still got Julio Jones. Still like their pass catchers. Austin Hooper has have always liked him. The defense is back. The safeties are back. Cornerback depth solid. They teach it well over there. Linebackers otherworldly. Deion Jones. He's he's not as good as Bobby Wagner, but it's the same style of player. You can move your defense around and uh, force disguises, force uh, the offense to really diagnose it. When you're playing against the worst quarterbacks, you're almost certain to win those games because they have a tougher time doing it. Uh, And even some of the better ones, you can catch them out of position and uh, force a play here or there. I like the Atlanta Falcons as the best record in the NFC. They go 13-3. Lastly, the NFC North. Toughest division. I save it for last because no team is going to lose... or excuse me, yeah, lose more than 10 games. Chicago Bears, sorry Chicago, 6-10. and 10. I just don't see him doing it. I don't see um, Mitchell Trubisky. He can't sit at the apex of the pocket and deliver the football. Um, I, the limitations are there. A year of film on him, how Nagy is scheming him up, the best plays you can take away from that. Uh, I just don't see it happen. Minnesota Vikings take this one. They're the best team in that division. By, I'm not going to say just by pure standpoint on paper, but really I just think they win the most games this year at 10-6. and six. They uh, they eke it out over the Packers. They're going to go 9-7, and the you know the Lions will be in third place at 8-8. Eight and eight. It was the toughest division to pick, uh, but ultimately I think they replenished in the draft. They don't have great depth. They're my team to pick to click that stays healthy, that their players, that their scheme, their coaching, they have great management during the game. Their coaching and their philosophy on defense is always very sound to stop offenses. And now they got Gary Kubiak. They're going to get Cousins outside the pocket a little bit more. They got him the two tight ends. He's not going to have to diagnose coverages as much when you play against those better teams. And uh, it'll shorten some things up, and he'll just be able to hit the open man and uh, find the open grass. I like the Vikings. They are my last pick as far as the NFC in the playoffs. Those are my teams. And uh, I think I said it a couple of weeks ago. I think I said the uh, the Pats are, and the Eagles are going to make the make the Super Bowl again. Um, I've actually flipped this. I flipped this. The Patriots are going to go to the Super Bowl. I still think they're the best team out of the East. It's hard to pick against them. It would be, uh, gosh, that would be four in a row. That's hard to grasp. Um yeah, but I, I picked the Eagles originally. I think ultimately maybe that a uh, a errant Carson Wentz pass in the playoffs. I can just see that going on right now. Sometimes he just tries to force too many things, and if there's any t- team that's going to force him to do something that he doesn't want to, I think it's going to be a, uh, a cover three defense that was ran from a former Seattle uh, coach, and that's going to be Dan Quinn. I really believe in this Falcons team. I think they're going to be playing fast. They're going to be playing nasty. And I think we got a rematch of Super Bowl 52, the nightmare that happened for the Falcons. I think they get their shot. I think they get their shot at redemption. They get Tom Brady. They get the Patriots. And uh, they meet up in the Super Bowl down in Miami for Super Bowl 54. 
All right, let's wrap it up, folks. Thank you so much for sticking with me through this NFL preview. I promise it's only the beginning. I need your questions, all right? I need you to know what you want to know about as far as betting, who you think is going to win. I'm going to be putting out picks every week, okay? I'm going to be tweeting them out every Sunday. This is what the score of the game I think it's going to be. Obviously, who's going to win that game, and you can keep track of it all year long, okay? Every Sunday, they will be there. You can find it. It's going to start tomorrow evening. Perhaps you're actually listening to this on your way home to go watch the Bears and Packers, but I'm going to tweet out the score for that game, and then uh, I'll be doing that every week, every Sunday before the noon matchup. So look out for that if you got any questions about scores um, and just your general questions. This and that happened in the NFL. Storylines, contracts looming, a saga going on between this team and that player, and so on and so forth. Jerry Jones says that. Give it to me all. I want to hear it. Slide up in those direct messages at Pete4C. That's where you can find me. Uh, I'll be po- I'll probably be doing some live tweeting of the game, obviously, on Thursday. And then you can also find me. Uh, might do some Periscope videos. Get, uh, get some things rolling that way and interact on there. But until then, this is the uh, episode 28 of the podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. We will see you next week. Look out for the pre, uh, pre-game picks this Sunday. <laughs>